You are listening to the 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast with host Sean Castrina. I'm excited about today's podcast. I have an extraordinary founder. This is a person who co-founded a company that sold for over a, you know, they had over a billion in revenue. She has exited that. She is the co-founder of TransPerfect. It was the largest language solution company in the world with a, in over 100 cities. But what I'm excited about is she's kind of put that on paper and she wrote the book, Dream Big and Win. It's coming out right now. I have Liz Elting with me here today. How are you doing, Liz? I'm doing great. Thank you, Sean. Great to be here. So I, I, you know, love to find out, you know, why people became an entrepreneur as opposed to an employee, you know, most fairly bright, energetic people could, could, could be successful as an employee. You know, I'd like to think that I could, you know, do fairly well if I, if I work for someone, you know, you know, seek, destroy, climb the ladder, but we don't do it that way. So, and you built a company, you know, billion dollars in revenue here. So when did you know you, you know, you had this entrepreneurial, you know, desire as opposed to, you know, working for somebody? Right. No, great question. Because I, like a lot of people thought I would live in corporate America or, or, or be there for at least a period of time. What ended up happening was I... To give you just a little background, I studied four languages by the time I graduated from high school. I lived in five countries by the time I graduated from college, majored in languages in college, knew I loved languages, also knew I loved business. And I thought, well, what on earth am I going to do with those two things? I ended up getting a job shortly after graduating from college in New York City at what at the time was the world's largest language solutions company or translation company, we called it back then, and loved it. But I kept thinking, this can be done better. There there seems to be a real gap here between what clients need and what is available in the industry. So I just had these ideas as um, I was there. I ended up leaving after three years, going back to school, getting my MBA from NYU Business School. And then what happened was I majored in finance and international business there. I thought, you know, I love the language industry, but I'm getting my MBA. I've got to use this MBA. Yeah, you can't, can't go oh. wrong with an MBA and the ability to be speak multiple languages. I mean, that that is the super package. Right. It seemed like the practical thing to do. And I am very practical. And I was ambitious. I wanted to uh, rise in, in the corporate world. I wanted to make a lot of money. I was, you know, competitive, ambitious. So I ended up getting a job at the proprietary trading division of a French bank after getting my MBA. And I walked in there and I thought, okay, interesting atmosphere. I quickly noticed I was the only woman um, out of all the men. And I sat down, did what I was told, but whenever the phone rang, they would yell, Liz, phone. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just got my MBA in finance and I have this job where I'm supposed to be doing equity arbitrage. And instead- you're the I'm only one who can speak the language. <laughs> right. But I'm supposed to answer the phone. Yes, exactly. I think they can speak English to answer the yeah. phone, but no. So that was one issue. I didn't like the culture. I didn't feel like, I felt like it was a sexist environment. But the other important piece of it is I quickly realized finance was not for me. I had loved the language industry. It was combining my passion for languages and business. And I saw there was a real need. 
And I thought, I don't even like this finance thing. It's very dry, a lot of number crunching. I didn't want my job and I didn't want the boss's job. I quickly determined. So I thought, okay, I don't like this environment. I don't like what we're doing here. If I cannot find the environment I want, I'm going to go create it myself. So that was my aha moment. I thought, I'm going to quit and start a translation company. I had thought I would make some money first, kind of learn more about you know, business, but I was 26 and I just thought, this is this is my my moment. I'm going to go create my dream. Audience, audience, she had a great epiphany there. I don't know if you caught this, but I caught this in there. For everybody under the age of 35, if at any point you're at your job and you have this epiphany that she had, I don't like my job and I don't want to do my boss's job, like the CEO. There you go. The job you currently have, you don't like. The job that you're supposed to aspire to have, you don't like. That's when you That's when you put together your exit strategy. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I truly believe, related to that, that a great time to do it is when you're young and single and not making a lot of money. Yeah. Because I had just finished being a student just a few months before. I was used to living like a student. I had virtually no money. So I wasn't giving up anything big yet. I hadn't, I didn't have this great position where I was making a lot of money. I mean, I had a good job, yeah. but I was used to, you know, like eating Raymond Prime noodles. Exactly. noodles that's what I needed to do. I, and it's so true. You know, barring love, I'm going to take love out of it because love, love, has its own set of rules. So assuming you didn't get married or whatever the case like that to my audience up to 30 is the time when you rinse, repeat, fail, try something different, um, expand. Uh, you know, this is where you, you know, you have a, you live with someone, you know, you and your friend, you know, are sharing a condo and apartment so that you have a, if you can't quit your job and try something new every six months, you, you, you have trapped yourself. You have financially, you're driving a car you shouldn't be driving. You bought something you shouldn't have bought because that, you know, bar, again, barring, a, you know, you're married and whatever the case may be, barring that pre 30 is the time where you try things, quit things, you know, take a little bit of risk. And, and the problem I find is I think too many, they, they, they're so strapped that they can't, you know, they, they, they can't go two weeks without a paycheck, let alone take a risk. No, you're right. And, you know, the world is expensive. I, yeah. I really think they need to get used to living without, you know, a, a high price life, you know, basically yeah. go and, and have those, you know, four for a dollar Raymond Pride noodles yeah. if you need to, to go pursue your dream. And I agree, your 20s is the time to do it. Also, that's when you can throw yourself into it as far as the hours. You're not married. You don't have exactly. kids. And that was why I so encourage people who are just either, you know, they're in their 20s, yeah. they're just graduating from college, or they're just graduating business school, try it out. It's not, you know, the worst thing that happens is it doesn't work out. And then you learn something. And that's okay. But you have time to put in the hours then. And that's what you need to do to to really build that dream. Yeah. And I, I, and you, I think you covered it best. You have the time. The time is the great thing you have in your 20s that you don't have once life tends to, you know, as Bill Gates said, you know, I never took a day off in my 20s, not one. Wow. Yes. You, you know, you think about that. You think about that for a second. And I believe it. I, You know what I mean? You look at Steve Jobs, you look at these, you know, you know, I look at, you know, these maniacal type of people that is their life building this. Because the rule is, is okay, I'm, there's always a sacrifice for what you want later. 
but you, but you ever look at what these guys were and gals were doing in their 30s and 40s? Pretty good life. <laughs> right. No, I agree. And those are two great examples because, first of all, obviously, among the most successful people ever, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, they were obviously put in crazy hours, 100, 120 yeah. hours. That's what we needed to do, too, to to build our dream. You know, my my quote that I kind of live by is work today like no one else will. So you can live and give tomorrow like no one else can put in the hours and the, yeah, the time, the commitment in those early years, and it will pay off. It does pay off. And the other thing about those two people that you just mentioned, I mean, those two legends is they both originally failed. They did. I mean, I, I, I only say that because people are afraid of failing. It's okay. I mean, Bill Gates had a company called Trafo data that most people haven't heard of because no one ever needed to. That was where he kind of learned. And then, of course, he built Microsoft, which, you yeah, know, now we all know that. Yeah, we all know. And then Steve Jobs, I, you know, he originally, I guess, yeah, got, they let him, they let him go. Yeah, they, they let him go. And then he created the biggest and the best like invention. Mm-hmm. Of, I mean, biggest mm-hmm. as far yeah. as reach and life changing uh, as uh, that anyone ever has. So the point is, yes. Absolutely. Uh, we are I'm way too hard on the risk. Yes. Yeah, we're way too hard on failure. Um, I always say failure is nothing but data that tells you what didn't work. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's all it is. That's how we learn. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So let's jump into your book. Dream. I love the title. Dream big and win. And I also must say you have an incredible foundation, which is after your name, the Liz Elting Foundation. So when you were talking about, you know, making great money and giving, you kind of tied that sentence together and and I, we kind of let it slide by. But there, you know, you, you've only succeeded when you have the gift of giving. Um, like they they do go parallel they do i I just believe they go parallel i i'm shocked if you would tell me things that i'm willing to give away now i would have laughed at you 25 years ago i I literally would have laughed at you if you'd say you would be comfortable doing a you're gonna give you're gonna write a check for this you're gonna do that i would have said you you you're, (laughs) you're you're crazy but when you get a handle on things and you learn how to accelerate your income and you learn how to move the chess pieces, money's nothing but a tool. It's nothing but a piece on the board. And and you, you know, you can effortlessly, you know, you can give extravagantly. But we'll get into that because I know that's your passion. So I just wanted to kind of drop that out there. So the book, Dream Big and Win. Why did you write it? What's in it? Sure. So I wrote it because when I was in my 20s, back to that when I started my company. I did look for every business book I could find, and I read every business book I could get my hands on, but I couldn't find a book quite like it. They were usually written by uh, people that I couldn't quite relate to. I mean, men, older men, nothing wrong with that, but I couldn't relate. They also were very much do this, do that, do this. And there wasn't the human side of it. They didn't, you know, I I didn't hear about them and what went wrong, you know, what that went right. Yeah, but we, also ne- we never wrong. admit the failures. <laughs> right, right. And I didn't, I didn't hear about their vulnerabilities. I, you know, their authentic selves, not that they were, it just wasn't done yeah. back then. And I thought, boy, I can open up. I can talk about all the mistakes I made because God knows I made a lot of mistakes. And I learned a tremendous amount in 26 years in starting the company out of the NYU, you dorm room to growing it into this global company i i learned so much and i did so much wrong and if i had had this book back then i I wouldn't have made some of these mistakes and then i would have also done some of the things that 
eventually I learned I would have done them at the outset. So I, I wrote it and I, I think I tried to make it more of like and more entertaining, more vulnerable, more of kind of a a business book, but also like a beach read, you know, so a little yeah. more fun. Well, and I think, and that's the key, you, you, you know, some people give you, you know, it's uh, just the facts, the data, you know, this is what I did. This is why I did it. Then there's a book that you create as a writer, the compelling character, the person you cheer for. You you go through the pain with them and then, you, you know, you read the book, you know, they wrote a book. So, you know, there's something good there. So it's got to happen eventually. Right. And so yeah. you start cheering for that person. And, and, I, and I love books like that because you, you go down in the valley, but, you know, they wrote a book. So you're really optimistic. Okay, where, you know, let me see. Oh, I bet this is going to turn into something where, you know, and, and it's exciting books like that. I, I like anyway. Well, thank you. And and I really, truly believe if I can do it, anyone can do it if they follow these tips, because God knows, you know, as I said, I mean, you will see some of the things that went wrong in my life. And I really want wanted to encourage people to be entrepreneurs, because often we can't find what we want in the corporate world. And why shouldn't we be creating our dream companies and living our dream lives? So it really was to share the lessons and encourage. So what, give me a few, you know, I, I always say you can never give too much on a book as a person who's written a few books and have done enough podcasts promoting books. Uh, I, I give whatever I've gotten, people still buy the books. So give me a few things in Dream Big and Win that could help my audience. Sure. Okay. Well, and and by the way, Sean, I know you've written four books yeah. and it's amazing. I'm, and then you've started 20 companies. I'm so wowed yeah. by what you've done. And that, uh, that's why you have good this news. You have one that did a billion dollars. You beat me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's okay. But you just are doing, 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 yeah. and you're adding so much value and you're teaching so many lessons. And I love this podcast, by the way, I love 10 minute, you yeah. know, 10 minute because people are busy. They yeah, need I, to. I don't, I don't have two hours to listen to anybody to be, to be frank with you. So yeah, let, I like the okay. condensed version. So give me some great yeah, tips. Okay, and so dream back. big and win. So yes. So first of all, I think it's really important for people not to confuse being an entrepreneur with being an inventor. You know, don't confuse being an entrepreneur with being an inventor. You, you can be wildly successful without inventing something brand new. And obviously we know of so many examples where that happened. Um, and, and that was kind of what, you know, what happened to me. So I think that's huge to see something that's being done and you think, okay, it needs to be done faster. It needs to be done higher quality. It needs to be done uh, where they have a local presence, where they're a one-stop shop, um, where they customize the product. I mean, you know, I mentioned Steve Jobs earlier, but yeah. The iPhone was based on the BlackBerry. So he was taking the BlackBerry and making it better. Yeah, um, improvement, improvement. Yeah. We look at Google. Google was a 13th search engine. You know, Tesla was not the first electric car. Right. You, you, so you're right. You're so on to something where you think either you have to be first yeah. in the marketplace, which isn't true, or you think you have to create something that is so extreme. No, it's probably, a lot of times it's already out there. It just hasn't been played with. To, to where there could be a better end user or more end users. Absolutely. So I think that's really important. And people shouldn't think it's already being done. When, when we started, there were 10,000 companies already doing it, but there were mom and pops and there was a way to do it better. Okay. So that's one thing. Another thing that I think is super important is if you can do it with outside funding, do it that way. Don't spend all this time 
writing this perfect business plan and then going and working on getting investors. Instead, use that time to sell, 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 sell. I because it. it all comes back to revenues and profits. And that was what we did in, you know, in the early days, it was all day long, just, you know, from, you know, as I said, 100, 120 hours a week, it was selling, selling, selling. And that brought in you know, the revenue, which took us out of the dorm room and into an office and into a hundred offices around the world. So I think forget about the funding if you can and the business plan and instead just focus on selling. I love that because if you're not looking for a billion dollars, you probably need to fund it yourself anyway. You're going to give away way too much yes. for what, you know, when, when you're getting into billions, that's a different animal. It's typically a company that you could have never, I always say that you couldn't have started it anyway. So you had to make a pack with the devil. And guess what? When you have a percentage of a billion, it's still a lot. But you can't do that with a sub $50 million company. You could have grinded that out. You, you could have figured out how to get that on, you know, on the playing field. Right. And exactly. And your time is better spent selling and making profit because that's what you're going to ultimately need, even if you get the funding. Otherwise, Believe me, the investors aren't going to be happy and you'll go out of business. And so it's all about revenue and profit. And then related to that is goals with deadlines. I mean, I am such a goal person um, and with deadlines. And I can I, I love the deadline that. thing. Anything without a yeah. deadline's a wish. It's a dream. Yeah. It's yeah. A, but and it's great to have that, but you're right, it's a wish. That's the right word. And that was something that we really stuck to. I mean, in the early days, it was the actions we needed to take to make the goals, 300 letters a day, 300 phone calls a day. And being, re- I think it's really important to be tough on yourself and not let yourself get by, get let the day pass without doing what you need to do. And then the same goes for the revenues you need in a month or a quarter or a year. And, you know, looking, what are your goals for that? And then look, working back saying, okay, then how many letters do I need to send out? How many phone calls do I need to make? How many meetings do I need to have? Which companies am I focusing on to, to, to make these revenue numbers? Another example, when you get a little bigger is act like you have a boss and think, okay, if I had a boss, what would I need to submit as far as my plan for growth? And what we did is we said, okay, we need to open four offices a year in different cities, one each quarter, and put on paper to ourselves what we were committing to, and then not letting the quarter go by without opening those offices. I, I love the, the quarter philosophy. The, the, the biggest mistake people make is annual goals. Yes. Uh, an annual goal well-devised should be in quarters. Because yeah. what ends up happening is you waste, you know, 60% of your year and you try to make a race to get it done. A- 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 any any true business goal needs to have quarterly accountability on the deadlines that you were supposed to meet. Absolutely. And, you know, and we had daily and monthly goals as well, because that's how you get there. And so I think that's super important. Another thing related to the sales is um, make sure you are not the salesperson or even the main salesperson to for your company because if you you are you will never scale it work yeah. on the business rather than in the business of course in the first year or two you are the yeah, sales you, yeah I was gonna say you're the best salesperson for the first two years probably but you're absolutely right you if you are the best technician like the best engineer and or the best salesperson you'll never scale your business that's right. And so, you know, again, it was all we did was sell. But then after a couple of years, it was 
for all we did was focus on building a world-class sales organization, the biggest and the best in our industry. So I think that's critical. Um, another thing to really focus on is try to build the best culture you can. Be an employer of choice in your industry and in any industry. And that that is critical. Another thing that I, I talk about and I talk about in my book is make sure you have a good shareholders agreement. And I didn't have one. And that's how I learned. And I learned the hard way. I started my company with a partner. We were 50-50 owners. I also advise against being 50-50 owners. I do too. I always <laughs> say somebody's got to break the tie. Yes. And we didn't have a tie. Yeah. You got to have a tie. You got to have a tiebreaker or it's. Yes. Yeah. yes. And I still meet people today who do it because they're optimistic. They, they may, it may be with their, their sister, their brother, their husband, their wife, their parent. And they think we, we adore each other. We love each other, but you still need a tiebreaker. You got to have a tiebreaker, even if it's a third person. Yeah. I mean, sometimes if you're young and you're starting it out, okay, neither one of you great day. Okay, who's the mentor of the business? Maybe you have an, you know, a father who's, you know, sharp, you know what I mean? Fair, or whatever it is. You got to say for the first five years, this person breaks all ties. And then after five years, we'll re, you know, re-meet and see how we'll do this going forward. You just got to put some, you got to put something in writing. Right. And no matter how broke you are, because we were broke, yeah. we started with, we could not have started with less money. I mean, just get it notarized, do something, write it with a Sharpie marker, yeah. get it notarized <laughs> with some signatures. It still has a little bite. Absolutely. Because otherwise, once you start really building something, you and your partner may not agree mm. on, you know, who, who gets to be the yeah. decision maker, either between the two of you or in terms of a third party. And you may not agree on any kind of shareholders agreement. And then you have a problem with uh, responsibilities, roles, decision-making, dispute resolution, uh, what happens in the event of death, disability, divorce, marriage, and and exit. If one of you wants to exit and the other doesn't or whatever. So this is super, super important. And then along with, uh, as a part of that shareholders agreement, you should have a non-compete between you and your partner because if you are selling the company, you can sell it for more if there's a non-compete between you and your partners. Right. So that's another very kind of specific lesson I learned. I And I went through um, about, well, four intense years of litigation and I spent $50 million in legal fees. So I really learned no, the hard, learned I, the just, hard. I just did this this weekend. I literally am doing a business with someone really, really sharp. And I said to them, I said, I want you to come to my house on Saturday morning. I said, we're going to walk down my street and back twice. And if we can't iron this out in that walk, it's too complicated and I'm not interested in it. And I lit we literally went up and then I took out a, a five by eight note card, wrote up the the, the key points of the agreement in, in Sharpie marker. But this is the thing that I learned. This is Deshaun 25 years later. The money that that person's putting in, there was no equity in the company. There was profit sharing, but no equity. And I said to the person, I will give you a 10% return on any money you put in. You can buy it. You can leave anytime you want, but I'm structuring it. You're only getting 10% of your investment. You, you have no. So I levied my business expertise and the deal that I created, but I did not give that person any equity. They only got profit sharing based on the responsibilities that, he, that we wrote out on the card. So you, really my so point is, is that I, I couldn't really 25 years ago, I'd have never known to do that. That's right. And, you know, I think, you no, know, you're absolutely right. You want to keep it simple. Ideally, you are the yeah. only 
owner, you know, when you start bringing in partners, when you start bringing in investors, it really complicates things. And that's why it's really important to find great ways to incentivize your people as you grow yeah. is another lesson. And what we did with them is we did the same thing you're referring yeah. to. We did a profit sharing, uh, a phantom stock, a phantom yeah. stock program. So I love that. That's a great word. Stock. But you can't get the problem that people do is you start giving away stock so early. That's you can't do that. That's why I'm big on profit sharing. Uh, I'll give you a, an, a, an interest rate based on what you put in, you know, double the market value. I'll make it worth your time. But I what I don't want is a monster I got to fight with later or buy out. That's right. Exactly. And that's what you want to avoid. And and so that is a super important lesson. And then the other thing, you know, with the employees, you can do it with phantom stock. So it's not actual stock, as we're saying. The other thing is really aligning incentives between the company and your employees. So you're not the only one incentivized for the company to maximize revenue and maximize profit, but your employees are and finding ways to structure their compensation. So it, it, they they are very incentivized to maximize those things and where they get, I get paid better than they would in the industry and maybe even at another company. And, you know, with respect to your salespeople, your production people, and that really makes it so everyone's on the same team. And I think that that is very valuable as well. Yeah, no, I, I I love it. I'm I'm paralleling what you said because I'm 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 just in complete agreement with it. Uh, you know, I, I partnerships agreements are so, like I said when you get into you know the problem is if you don't do any agreement and then it, it quickly takes off and you you what ends up doing is is it's hard to redo that later. Much more expensive to do. People get a lot more greedy. It, it, people are a lot more pliable in the beginning. Right. Because we're all just, we don't know what we're fighting over. We just know right. well, there's nothing to fight over. And it's a lot easier. That's yeah. right. So I'm a believer in that as well. Absolutely critical. Uh, I love it. I'm with, obviously, <laughs> I'm with the author of Dream Big and Win, Liz Elting. Liz, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Obviously, this, you know, everybody, the book is out because I don't do this podcast until it's out. So, um, so don't worry about that. So you need to be buying this book, Liz, how can my audience connect with you? Oh, thank you so much, Sean. And, um, yes, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, or X yeah. I'm, on, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and then my website is lizelting.com. And then my foundation website is elizabethelting So yes, I would love to connect with with all of you and and I just want everyone to dream big and win. I knew I had that Elizabeth in there somewhere. I knew there was a reason why I said Elizabeth when it first started because that was the foundation. You're right, absolutely. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Liz. Audience, great book. Get it. Dream big and win. I want to thank you so much for listening to podcast. We try to give you as much as we possibly can in the shortest period of time because yeah, I have very little attention span. So I just go straight for the good stuff, try to extract it and give it to you so that you could learn today. You learned a lot about structuring your, your goals over shorter periods of time, holding yourself accountable to them, partnership agreements, different things. I encourage you again to read the book, Dream Big and Win. Thank you for listening. The podcast shocks me on how well it does. Um, so I'm humbled by that. The podcast is brought to you by Gig Strategic, the best digital marketing company. Um, send any questions you have to me at AskSean at SeanCastrina.com. I save you all the money of a mastermind group because anybody who's been listening to this podcast knows I will answer any question you send to me. Yeah, it'll be in like three sentences or less. It might be three words, but I will answer it for you. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk again soon.